Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by my colleague, Matt McDonald. And on deck today, we're going to be talking about what is hopefully the end of mask mandates. Uh, the city of Philadelphia has announced that they are restarting their mask mandate. Actually, they did that on Monday. But far greater news came from a district court down in Florida this week, which struck down the Biden administration's mask mandate on public transportation. That means Amtrak. That also means airlines, which contract with the federal government and were forced to obey it too. Uh, The airline carriers had been wanting to wriggle out from under that. They'd been wanting to uh, allow people to take off their masks on flights, but the federal government had stood firm and said no. Now all of that is a way that the mask mandate is officially gone. And within minutes, it seemed, all of the airlines were allowing their people to take off masks on their flights. You saw these incredible videos on social media of pilots announcing mid-flight that people no longer had to cover their faces, people cheering, people, passengers ripping off their masks. It was a really jubilant moment. And I, I think it leads to the question, Matt, are we finally seeing the end of this? Are we finally coming to the end of masks as a symbol as a mainstay of our society, uh, or is this going to come roaring back in a couple weeks, a couple months? I think that for the majority of people, this does signal the end of, you know, mask mandate mania. Um, but there is a slim minority for whom it doesn't. And it's those people which have meant the ma- these mandates in particular stayed in place for so long. We live in the Washington, D.C. area where the, the uh, administration is, you know, fairly progressive and has flip-flopped on uh, on mandates throughout the course of the pandemic. Yet even here, you know, in bars and restaurants and, and schools, you have not, you know, masks have been optional from then onwards. And yet, so there was this, you know, this was kind of the last, the last rule to fall where the federal government have had control over planes, trains and automobiles, for want of a better word. And they twice extended upon the CDC's advice, the uh, the federal mandate, I think first for a month and then secondly for two weeks to keep masks on planes. And both both extensions were met with consternation, rightly, I think, because people are saying you could fly from, let's say, DC to New York and be in a bar indoors for three hours unmasked before taking your flight, then head to the airport in a taxi for which you'd have to wear a mask go through the airports wearing a mask to get your flight wearing a mask, though, of course, you can remove it for the periods in which you're actively eating and drinking. And then you'd land in New York, wear your mask on uh, through that airport, wear your mask on the subway or or on, in your cab, and then go straight to another bar and restaurant and, you know, be unmasked for, for the duration of your time there. So people were rightly asking, what is the diff- why is this rule still in place when all of the other ones have been dropped? Um, and I think that's been a fair question. I think it's long overdue that, that this rule's gone. And that, yeah, the, the reason why it stayed in place for so long were the people who are the slim minority of people who are currently angry that it's been, that it's been dropped. And um, that's because they think that face masks have some kind of mythical totemic status where they ward off the coronavirus, um, which hasn't been the case for a long time. And, and in fact, it's never been the case. They were always designed to you know, stop you from transmitting rather than from receiving droplets of coronavirus. Yeah, they're like public health jack-o'-lanterns, like they scare away the evil spirits. And I know that, of course, this only comes down now, right? Because the entire spectator staff had to head to New York City last week. So we all boarded trains and wound our way slowly northward. Most of us live in D.C. up to New York. And 
you don't have to wear a mask in the train station, at least not here, not in Washington, D.C., and, and not in New York either. Um, you also don't have to wear a mask while you're eating on the Amtrak train or while you're having a drink. But the rest of the time, you have to wear a mask. So there's that weird patchwork quality. But it's also just the general annoyance as somebody who wears glasses sitting there for four hours trying to get my work done, fogging up my glasses, breathing into a mask. The thing st- I just threw it out when I got home. The thing stunk by the time I, I, I was done. And nowhere else do you have to do this, right? I mean, everywhere else, every bar we went to in New York, th- this was not a rule. It's just never, two years ago would have been one thing when we were, people were dying in mass and we were scrambling to figure out what worked. But at this point, it just felt so theatrical and so gratuitous. And these really were the last holdouts were, were planes and, and trains, you know, public transportation, the metro here in D.C., you still technically have to wear a mask, although the union negotiated a carve out so the employees don't have to you know, ask anyone to put it on. So it's, it's generally not observed. But yeah, it, it seems like the, the, this is really the last place that you had to. And I guess the question is, you know, we're hearing a lot about this next COVID wave that's supposedly coming our way. It's actually really roiled Western Europe and Canada, much more so than the United States. Um, we're doing okay right now, at least. But if those cases do start to tick up, and as the weather gets warm and nice, are people going to go back? Or have we just hit that point where they just don't care anymore? Even if COVID gets bad again, they're just not as worried because their patience has been stretched. I almost think it's the latter, right? It, it's just, this has been going on for so long and I think patience is finite. And I, I almost think we're just never going to get back to the way we were before. Yeah, I think I've got a few points off of what you've just said my the overwhelming one is is about how much has the science materially changed about covid in the last two to three months like good example you know last friday as you said i'm on a train back from new york to dc for three and a half to four hours and have to wear a mask for the duration this friday i'm getting a train down to richmond and i for two hours and i don't have to wear a mask at all has the science changed from one friday to the next no it hasn't a couple of months ago i was in uh Spain over New Year's and Andalusia, the, you know, the, the state in southern Spain, has an outdoor mask mandate outdoors. And this is, you know, almost two full years into the pandemic when they know when we know about outdoor the risk of infection from outdoor transmission, particularly in a place like, you know, southern Spain, you're on the Mediterranean Sea, it can be quite windy, like the risk of you getting COVID uh, there is pretty low. Yet the mask mandate, I believe, still remains in place in, in, in places like Spain. Has the science changed? The, the quote-unquote science, because there is only one. No, it hasn't, materially. And so I, it, I think in terms of when the rules change and why they change, you've kind of got to forego there being this one correct science uh, model and realise that a lot of it, a lot of the rule changes do come entirely off the back of political expediency. So in my home country of the United Kingdom, the vast majority of COVID restrictions were listed were lifted the week that uh, Boris Johnson ran into a particularly nasty scandal. This time round, you know, the federal government have been uh, in the US have re- reinstated uh, or basically re- renewed the the federal mask mandate on Thursday, and then this judge strikes it down on on Monday. And they don't seem to be fighting it particularly hard because I think they realise that doing so would not be politically expedient to them and would likely make the Democratic Party and the Biden government even more unpopular than it currently is uh, before it heads into the midterm campaign. But then, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm still particularly 
curious about the people who want these mandates to stay in place and wondering what their scientific and public health reasoning is for doing so. Because at the moment, I feel like the mask is offering them more psychological than epidemiological protection. Yeah, just fear. I mean, it's just blatant fear. And I think you brought up the political aspect of this is a hot potato for the Biden administration. They'd probably prefer to have it removed going into November. There's also, I think, a matter of bureaucratic control that I find very interesting because what the this district court judge, Catherine uh, Mizell down in Florida, what she ruled was that the CDC, which had unilaterally imposed this mandate without the, the consent of Congress, that they'd overstepped their bounds. Right, that the, the government cannot have the authority to just do anything that touches upon public health. If it did, it, it, you could lurch into the absurd where they're forcing you to take probiotics, for example, and multivitamins. It's just not, it's not sustainable. And I, I think that's broadly correct. You know, there, there was never any consent given by the people's representatives, and Congress will never act to renew this again. I mean, that that shows you where what the people actually think, where they're coming from. Mask mandates are broadly unpopular. But it also gets into, I think, this interesting issue of um, a lot of rulemaking and policymaking in America today is done by the agencies without Congress, uh, especially on the environmental side of things. You know, the EPA makes all manner of of new rules that affect the environment, that affect mining and, and pollution and industry. And there's been a bit of chipping away at that recently by the courts, especially because, you know, Donald Trump has nominated a good chunk of the federal judiciary. Uh, we'll have to see if this this continues, but it's a bad it's a bad day for the bureaucracy, and it does. I, I would imagine that the one hangup that Joe Biden has, right, is that he is a you know a regulatory state liberal, a pro regulatory state liberal. This does defang the CDC, you know. This does strip the CDC of some serious authority, and I, I'm, he's debating, I'm sure, whether or not he wants to appeal it. Uh, the politics would would dictate no. But in terms of his government having the power that he wants it to have, maybe he's thinking yes. I think the CDC defanged itself of credibility much earlier in the pandemic than this, <laughs> uh, frankly. I think when, yes. it comes, and when it comes to rule enforcement, the strange thing about this mandate in particular, about the mask mandate in particular, that you see in kind of different countries is I've never seen cops here uh, really enforcing the mask mandate in either New York or you know. Let's say hypothetically, I was walking around a station maskless in New York last week, and I walked past four NYPD officers, only two of whom were wearing masks, and none of whom battered an eyelid at the fact that someone wasn't wearing one. Let's say also hypothetically that every time I've gotten DC Metro in the last since May, since I moved here, let's say hypothetically that I hadn't worn a mask for a lot of that time. And, uh, you know, let's say hypothetically, I'd stared a DC transport police cop dead in the eye, also maskless, and he's and he's not enforcing it. The issue is that, you you know, if the people who are... It's, it's a question of who then is enforcing the bureaucracy, right? And in a lot of cases, the federal government and the CDC has has placed the burden of enforcing these rules on service workers. Like it's being... The burden was put on wait staff to ensure that the mandate's being obeyed in their, in their restaurant. The burden is being put on train conductors and on flight attendants to ensure that to ensure that the, the, the mandate is being enforced. And ultimately, obviously, a flight attendant is a slightly different example, as in effectively, you do have more rights to the flight attendant than other, than other service workers do. But then to be, for the burden to be placed on them, to be, for them to be enforcing a rule which clearly seems so crazy to so many people, uh, for the reasons I've stated before, because it's not being applied 
in in the places it was it seems uh, it seems like an undue burden to to place on those workers and to kind of separate them further from you know the the paying class so listen before we go uh, we all have, as we're kind of mourning the end of masks here, where we're seeing off the mask, hopefully as, as something that we regularly do, we all have stories with, call them Karens uh, or male Karens, who I, I identified as Joels in a piece that I wrote for The Spectator, male Karens called Joels. We all have stories with these people involving masks. And I think for me, the two worst that I've ever had was one time I was on an Amtrak uh, train trip, not up to New York, actually, somewhere else. And a woman was sitting diagonally from me, about 10 feet away, and my mask had slipped down below my nose. And she turned around and leaned in very, really closely and said, excuse me, can you pull that back up above your nose? So endangered herself in order to, you know, get in order to make sure that I was following the rules. And then the other story that this is probably the worst one is I was jogging down a sidewalk in Delray, Virginia, which is not too far from here. And this guy leans out of nowhere onto the sidewalk and says, hey, why don't you wear a mask while you're running? You know, as though I'm going to asphyxiate myself and risk collapsing on the sidewalk so that I'm not, so that I'm following the rules, so that I'm continuing to adhere by the rules. Those are the worst stories that I have. I know others people have, you know, far more serious encounters. You had one on a train, I'm sorry, on a plane one time. Yeah. That was pretty bad. So I was flying back to DC after spending Christmas and New Year back in back in Europe. And I won't name the major US airline who, who I was flying who I was flying with because they've all since you so can. They've, they've, all, <laughs> they've all since rescinded their mandate. So I go on and I'm wearing a cloth mask which I was given for free in a bookstore in Alexandra, which I think is one of the most progressive ways you can get a face mask. So the least effect scientifically the least effective, but it counts as a mask according to this mandate. And so I'm on this flight, it's an eight hour flight. I'm um, you know I get food and I'm eating. I'm eating my food on the on the plane. I just about finished up. Maybe like thirty seconds after I finished, I'm about to go to put my mask back on uh, when this male flight attendant taps me on the shoulder and says, "Excuse me, can you put your mask back on?" Because uh, the mandate we've got the mandate in place. And I was like, "Yes, of course." A couple of hours pass and the lights are dimmed on the flight. You know, I've got a film on, um, and because this mask is so crappy and ineffectual, while I'm dozing off to sleep. Uh, the uh, the top of it just dips below uh, my nose. So, you know, the top half of my nostrils are exposed. And uh, I get a tap on the... I was literally about to fall asleep and I get a tap on the shoulder from uh, the same flight attendant who hands me a pamphlet and says, excuse me, sir, um, I've warned you about your mask before. I just want you to be aware that, you know, right now you're in violation of the federal mask mandate and you could be fined up to $33,000 uh, and banned from all future flights of, of our airlines. And I was like, I'm, uh, you know, very apologetic. I don't, I fly a lot for work. I don't want to get banned from a flight for something as spurious as this. So, you know, I offered to change masks and change to a, a medical grade one. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that the the long arm of the, of the law is, I, I can see, you know, with, with a flight attendant in that position, obviously they, they have that right. If I was being like drunk and disorderly, uh, like I often am, but not on flights. But if I was being drunk and disorderly and rowdy and disturbing other passengers, then sure, I'd say, you know, that's you're justified in threatening to throw someone off the flight and ban them for your airline. But if their mask slips below their nose slightly while they're while they're out sleeping, I, I, I think you've got a calculation to make as to whether it's really worth, <laughs> really, really worth extending the long arm of the law like that. 
I think Christopher Hitchens called them micro-megalomaniacs, these people who uh, flex their power through tiny, small, annoying rules. And uh, COVID and the mask mandates, I think, have just been just a bounty for these people. I mean, it's been just a harvest for people who are absolutely insistent they're going to follow these regulations, and you have to, too. And uh, I, I certainly hope that, you know, at the end of these mandates, these people are uh, in a much more uncomfortable position than they were before, or at least they don't have as much power. And we'll see going forward. Yeah, my experience broadly in my, you know, six or seven years in this country has been that Americans, Republicans and Democrats at large, basically enjoy their relationship with the government most when the government isn't particularly involved in their lives at all. And obviously, this pandemic has been terrible for that. And I think the, the Biden administration are probably going to start to acknowledge that and realize that they need to withdraw a bit and keep their heads down and, you know, hide in the basement, uh, for want of a better thing, if they're, if they're to stand a slightly better chance in these midterms that are coming up. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. We'll be right back.